Hey, welcome to the BK Show podcast. This is episode number 440. We made it, folks. Today I am joined by Cody Wittick. Cody is the co-founder and managing partner at Kinship, an influencer marketing agency. Prior to co-founding Kinship, Cody began his journey at Kalo, the brand that created the silicone wedding ring for the active lifestyle. You may remember hearing about Kalo in episode number seven. Uh, we touched on it again in this episode. Episode seven was with Taylor Holiday. Fantastic episode. One of the most listened to we have uh, so far. If you haven't listened to it, definitely go back and check out episode seven. I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, but today we talk about Kalo Rings, uh, the influencer roster he grew from zero to 250 plus people, including LeBron James, Jason Aldean, Mike Trout, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and many others. Uh, and we talk about influencer marketing in general, uh, how to seed products, how to build a relationship with the influencer and not just look for a transactional relationship, how to actually structure a contract with them if you decide to work together, uh, and many other things. Cody has a course that you can check out in the show notes. Uh, BenConnectDorf.com slash influencer is my filthy little affiliate link over to his course. Uh, but I think you're going to learn a lot today about influencer marketing and how to go about it the right way, how to actually build relationships, how to seed your products. Uh, I know I personally learned a lot, and I selfishly asked a lot of questions I want to know uh, in this episode. So super appreciative, Cody, coming on, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's just jump right in uh, to today's show with Cody Wittick. Cody Wittick, welcome to the show, buddy. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm pumped to have you on here. You are the first person to like reach out to me and say, hey, let me get on that show. So uh, props to you for, for the outreach. I'm hustling. <laughs> Got to hustle. Got to respect the hustle. Well, I've seen you around, you know, like uh, when you're on Twitter and you like any person's posts or interact with them then you start seeing everything they like and so i saw you interacting with taylor holiday for a while uh little did i know you guys were business partners and so yeah. i actually reached out to him i'm like hey what do you think of this cody guy is he legit should i have him on my show and he wrote back he's my people you should definitely have him on and i was like all right that's that's uh, that's all i need to hear all right besides i'm i'm his people besides i don't talk about baseball cards or bitcoin or <laughs> nfts but everything else where i'm his people you haven't bought any of his bit clout yet is what you're saying no no if you want anybody listening if you're on BitCloud, go buy my coin i would appreciate that very much let's all, <laughs> let's, all let's all make each other rich uh yeah, there you cool. go well look you uh sounds like you are the go-to guy when it comes to influencer marketing and so i'm uh i'm kind of i'm gonna say i'm kind of dumb in this area i actually look forward to picking your brain and hopefully learning something from you today well i want to give away everything i know so nice. should be in for a good show first things first you were adjusting before the call sounds like you had a pretty brutal accident like yeah i saw your post today uh on instagram uh some things that you learned here's eight takeaways i learned uh i'd love to talk about that because like some sometimes those moments in our lives can be they can dramatically affect the trajectory of your life, right? Like there's yeah. a, there's a lot yeah. of learned moments from that. So first off you, you briefly touched on it. We had a little pre-call like a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You, you briefly touched on it. I'd love to hear what happened, man. Yeah. So, um, Super Bowl Sunday, definitely never forget just because of that day. But, um, yeah, my wife and I were on our motor scooter and we basically got, we're completely stopped behind a tow truck and a tow truck, almost backed into us and ran us over. So by the grace of God, just my leg, um, broke compound tib fib. So saw the bone out of the skin in that moment. I remembered some sports injuries that people that had. So I had some, a little bit of hope in that moment, like, Oh, I'll be okay. Um, but my wife was completely fine, but obviously a traumatic experience just going through like 
basically a near death experience too. And it wasn't just us being frightened, but like firefighters that we've seen after one, actually we ran into the fire captain who was on the scene um, just by happenstance. He passed by me and was like, Cody, he's like, I was the fire captain there. Um, so that was a pretty cool moment. He got to share some insight, but, um, and to just how serious it was, um, how crazy it was to, for us to be alive. And so it's definitely put in a perspective, um, when you just see how fragile life is. And I think you and I had talked about that even a little bit in the pre-call and it's about some of those experiences that you've had. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely shakes you for sure. And we're exactly eight weeks since that point or a little over eight weeks and some days since Super Bowl Sunday, but, um, it's, it's a journey. <laughs> it's uh, I feel like it'll be something that is kind of pre-accident post-accident, like a marker in my life um, mm-hmm. of how I've changed or um, things that we do now that we used to not, whether good or bad um, will be the judge later on, but yeah, definitely some character building in me for sure uh, going on right now. I'm always curious how people think and maybe I'm a weirdo that I, I think about how people think. Um, yeah. but what, so like it happens, you're on the ground, you realize your wife's okay. I hope before you realize, right. you know, your leg, but what, what are those thoughts when you're looking down and you see your tibula and you know, the one we don't need the fibula, I think that's the right one, right? The tibula is the front yeah. one that we, we actually need. The tibula um, is the weight bearing one. Yeah. 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 And, and you see them, you know, sticking out like what, what thoughts go through your head? Yeah, it's interesting because um, even as my wife and I have gone through therapy to kind of like process this whole trauma ex- experience, um, that's been something that was enlightened to me of just like my first moment of, okay, we survived was actually like the truck didn't keep going, like the truck stopped, like we didn't get run over. And so now I'm laying there in my leg. Yes, I saw immediately like my bone popping out, but it was kind of just like, oh, okay, like it's it's fine. I'm laying on the ground. I'm in excruciating pain. I'm looking around. My wife's okay. She's kind of, you know, try, trying to go get a 911 called. Um, she had to like go get the tow truck driver, believe it or not, her his phone and call 911. And then she's having to stop traffic and all this stuff. So her moment of survival was much later of like, okay, we made it. Not until I got out of the hospital, actually. So 48 hours later. Um, but for me, it was kind of, I didn't have to deal with all the external call 911, stop traffic. I'm laying in the middle of the street. Oh my God, my husband's, his bones popping out. I have to hold his leg. Like just all those different factors. For me, it was kind of just like, well, I can't do anything. I'm just sitting here. I just got to wait for care. I'm in terrible pain, but at least we're like, I'm alive. <laughs> um, so it's interesting how like, my wife and I go through the same experience, but have vastly different experiences of the same trauma. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was just like, I'm actually fine given the circumstances. Like I survived for my wife. It was much later. Yeah. I, you know, you and I talked, right. And I told you I was like 18 and I flew out a car window at hundred miles an hour. And I stood up and I watched the car keep rolling and I knew the girl in there. And like, there was no thoughts of my own survival. Like it was just, I ran up to the road and flagged down a car and like still hadn't really taken a breath and uh, nothing was wrong with me somehow. I just bruised ribs. That was it. Um, but I watched the car keep rolling. I, I was trying to figure out how do we, you know, how do we, I, I think I worked for the ambulance at the time. I was a first responder. And so I was like, oh. I, don't, I don't really want to call the ambulance. Uh, let's figure out a way to, you know, get her to the hospital. Cause she was with it, but uh, clearly, I don't know. She was okay, but she wasn't 
okay, I guess I don't know how to explain it. And so, you know, I was just thinking back to my thoughts of my thoughts were caring about other people. And so I was curious when you were sitting there, was it like, what was your first thought? Obviously your first thought was probably, is my wife okay? But then where did your brain go after that? And how, how soon did you start getting, you know, anxiety of down the path of Mm -hmm. what's this going to be like? Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned Alex Smith, right? When we talked the first time, yeah, you, you pictured Alex Smith and his injury and that he had just came back and played his first game. Right. When I pulled out my leg, I was kind of just like, Oh my God. But then I was like, I remembered Alex Smith for some reason, just like being a huge sports fan. And it was a sense of hope, like right there in that moment of just like, like he came back and played football. Um, I think I'll be okay. Um, but there was a moment where the firefighters actually came and the medic on scene actually tested my, like, you know, my nerves and my big toe and little toe. And he was just like, I just wanted you to know that. And I wasn't even thinking about that, but it was like a huge sigh of relief of just like, okay, like I'm not going to like lose my leg or um, I'm not going to lose feeling or anything like that. Or like the lower half of my legs not paralyzed or anything. So yeah, I mean, a lot of thoughts go through your brain as I'm sure you just, <laughs> just described in your experience still don't know how you stood up um, i don't know either I, I really don't i remember flying out her window too from the passenger seat out the driver's oh window gosh and just popping right up and watching the car roll it was weird um but i was 18 i probably wasn't the dumbest thing i did that week when i was 18 if i'm honest um uh, <laughs> look your post is cool though you you wrote like eight things you've learned since then what, yeah. what stands out to you because there's a couple that stood out to me and i'm just curious you know what is what has been impactful to you as you've been home you know for eight weeks well, look we've all been home for a year right so there wasn't right. probably too much new about being home but you know being no. home with your leg in the air and uh i think i saw you working on your macbook the day we first chatted and i was like man how do you first off how do you do that I, you know sit in a recliner yeah. and work on a small screen yeah yeah a lot of adjustments because even actually during covid we were in the office, uh, Kinship, we were in the office like every day just because it was me and my business partner. CTC was kicked out and everybody was sent home. So we actually didn't have much of a work from home style. Um, so this was actually my first experience of like really working from home. But I would say the biggest thing, man, um, that tension, I think one of the things that I said was just the two sides of the coin. One, you come through experience like this where you're like, I never, ever want to experience pain like this again, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, so I just want to live in a buffle, you know, be safe. <laughs> and then on the other hand, I'm like, dude, I almost died. Like, let's just go after it. Life is so fragile. It could end tomorrow again. Um, and so that's where I feel like I'm starting to get back to, which I think before the accident, I was always kind of just going for it. I wasn't like an adrenaline junkie, but I was definitely like, let's, let's do this. Let's move internationally. Um, let's have like these certain goals. And I'm like sitting in the hospital. I'm like, dude, I don't, man, if we were living internationally, who knows what happens to my leg because of the healthcare or, you know, anything like that. So it definitely just puts questions in your mind. And so I feel that tension now more than ever in my life of, you know, live in a bubble, live safe, or and not like a covid bubble but just like literally just like be safe try to get you know take all the safety precautions necessary or is life just fragile and you never know when your time comes and let's try to enjoy it as much as possible you know so that that one sticks out to me a lot where where are you settled on that issue or where are you leaning on that issue because my brain uh, i kind of went through similar things uh through different moments in my life of like 
oh, like I've wanted to, to move abroad. And then there's like, oh, family, I'll, I'll never, you know, I won't see them very much. Um, but I want to go do these things. And then, you know, you have moments where, you know, I lost my mom when I was like 25. Right. And I'm like, oh, I want to make sure I have those special moments with my father. Um, but I also kind of want to go live my life too. Right. And so, yeah, I'm curious right. where you're leaning on that side of the coin of, of should you go balls to the wall or should you, you know, wrap <laughs> yourself in bubble wrap every day? Yeah, I'm definitely, I think I'm, as time passes, I'm coming out more of life is fragile. Let's pursue our dreams. You know, let's go after these certain things. Um, probably won't get a scooter again. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so like there's things like that where I'm like, yeah, that pain wasn't worth it. There's so many people driving around with, on their phones, probably not paying attention. I could just go flying again. Um, even when I was super safe. So, and it, even tying back into the other thing that I mentioned is about like, when you think you're in control, like even over yourself, like there's so many other things that you're just not over. Like we were just, we were completely stopped behind a tow truck. I was super careful. The guys started backing up like, so, um, but to answer your question, I think I'm definitely going towards trying to just, yeah, life is short. It's cliche, but it's true. Like there's just so many things, you know, and for me, like I'm 29. So I'm starting to get to that age of like people around me that are just like going through some hard stuff. It's not just like the college glory years, you know, not that people don't experience hard things when they're younger, but um, I think there is a, a little bit of a innocence is bliss sometimes when you're younger. Um, but that, you know, there's people around me that you know, their sisters are getting strokes at young ages and, you know, there's spouses that are dying. And so, yeah. Well, there's something to be said about when it happened in your life too. If this had happened at 21, you probably wouldn't have any of these thoughts, right? Like you're invincible yeah. at 21. Um, yeah, exactly. You're going to be walking on that thing in, in three weeks, right? Like th there's no, there's no fear in your heart. And so probably an interesting moment in your life to go through it, a transition period for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious about how you felt at 25, losing your mom. Yeah, but that might be a story for a different podcast. It, uh, honestly, I, I went to the darkest places I've ever been to in my life, and um, yeah. it changed me as a human being. And uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot to that story that uh, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll share someday. It, so it was a, out, it was a very it came low out point stronger though. Yeah, no question. But it was definitely a very low point in my life. I ended up drinking yeah. a lot, um, and I, mm -hmm. I didn't really know how to cope with it as a 25 year old. Yeah. I, heck, I don't, you know, I'm 36 now. I don't know if I'd be able to cope with it now either, but, uh, definitely at 25, I didn't have, I didn't have my wits about me for sure. I was just, you know, I was still acting like a, a kid and making poor decisions. And, um, I, I wasn't an entrepreneur back then. Uh, I wasn't into anything, right. I was just working a job and, and drinking on the yeah. weekends. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was, it led to like even more darkness, I would say. Mm. Mm. Well, we don't I need to be, like... we don't need to be down in the dumps this whole podcast. So, uh, <laughs> Look, I, I've looked into what you do at Kinship, and I think it's um, it seems like it's like top of the line when it comes to influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. So I, I I haven't done a lot of it um, in my journey thus far. Uh, I had George Bryan on the show. I'm not sure if I have my notes that pulled up here. Uh, George was episode 24, and I've learned a ton from him and some of the brands that he has worked with. I'm not even sure how many of those he can name publicly, but he's worked with some really big brands. Uh, and a lot of the stuff he would, would say at his mastermind or in podcasts where I've heard him, I've heard you say the same thing, or I've seen you tweet the same thing. Uh, and then we had a little call together and I was like, oh, this guy, this guy gets it right. Plus you have a really cool backstory, um, of how you even got where you are. So I've got a zillion questions, but I, I'd love to hear like your story. How did, how did. How did we even get to kinship? And I, I have a feeling there's some uh, pretty cool stories along the way as well. Yeah. Uh, 
got to kinship long story short through a brand called Kalo, which was, they created the silicone wedding ring industry. Um, and I kind of honestly stumbled into it. I, I didn't major in marketing. Um, I th- I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurial stories that I keep hearing where it's like, they didn't necessarily like do all the necessary steps of get a major, uh, get an internship, um, all that stuff. So yeah, communications, you know, playing hoops in college and then went on a long missions trip after college and came back and was kind of like, well, thought about vocational ministry for a little bit. And then um, I knew a guy named Casey Holiday who had just started this company and his brother, Taylor, who you've had on a couple of times, um, was helping him with the marketing. And yeah, they were, they were growing like crazy. And so I kind of got grandfathered in. And then soon as I, I guess, earned my grandfather uh, stepchild um, work, <laughs> make you earn it a little bit um, at the company. I was under a guy named Jordan Palmer, who's quite the quarterback coach guru now these days. Um, and he had played in the NFL. He was done playing in the NFL and he was basically responsible for the influencer program at Kalo in terms of just getting the ring as out there to as many people as possible. So I was, I was groomed under him um, and learned a lot of things through him just by uh, watching and, and him team me up to fail or not, or, you know, just teaching me the things of the, of the, of marketing. And for me as a former athlete at that time, it was really cool too, just because the ring was being sent to a ton of people in the NFL and NBA and major league baseball. And um, so it was cool to just relate to those guys and build relationships with those guys. So, um, but yeah, that was my, that was my start. Uh, And then slowly, but surely kind of several months after that, uh, CTC started becoming its own sort of entity um, and separating more than just like being Kalo's marketing arm. Um, and so that made Jordan separate and kind of just raised me up to take over uh, for Kalo. And so got to do that for four or five years. And then we can get into the how we started Kinship. But that was that was my prior journey of how I got in the world of influencer marketing before I even knew that was a term. Um, but it was right when the term was kind of starting and picking up speed, like in 2014, 15. Um, so, yeah, I was quite the elevator pitch of like a decade of your life. I, I, <laughs> I'd like to jump in there because even on our little pre-call, you, you mentioned a few stories. Um, so just for reference, Taylor, Taylor Holiday was on the show, episode seven and a few back, something like that. Uh, Jordan Palmer, that's Carson Palmer's brother. They both played in the NFL. Right. Uh, they started ctc together again you can hear a a bunch more about that on episode seven with taylor definitely recommend that um and so you you came in there like they are are what did they do before kalo power balance is that right yeah they had power balance before that again taylor tells this whole story it's incredible on episode seven go listen to episode seven if you haven't listened to it yet (laughs) maybe i'll just put it out next week as like a bonus episode uh for people to go listen to but so they went from power balance which they were seeding product in power balance as well taylor told Mm -hmm. the story of of getting it on the wrist of the world series of poker champion who's who's raising his hand with a gold bracelet and a power balance uh on one arm um and then they moved in to to kalo um which you know I, i believe that was the very first uh, a wedding band of that type. Is that is that accurate? Right. They they kind of created that industry before there was a bunch on Amazon and stuff like that. So now I would I would say you're now the expert on influencer marketing with Kinship and your and your co-founder as well. But I want to know all the stories along the way. Like you obviously didn't know what you were doing back then, and so like <laughs> talk, you know, tell me some of the stories of 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 getting it on, you know, Major League Baseball or, or pro athletes of any kind, and and how you learned 
what, what seating even was. And like, uh, I've got a zillion questions when it comes to what you teach and, uh, and what you do at kinship. And, and so I'm happy to chuck them in along the way of like what that even is. Yeah. So, uh, seeding was just literally like a seed planted that you would want to groom into a tree. Um, so basically like it's very relationship focused. I plant a seed, basically my product to you that I want to grow over time, um, into a relationship that you actually care about the product. Um, and I care about you representing my brand. Um, and so, uh, at Kayla, we were afforded the opportunity to send out a ton of product just because the cost was so low. Uh, I mean, like two cents to make. So we're just sending out a ton of them. Um, and it was, it was such a unique um, product differentiation from other things. Like you're not competing with Nike because Nike doesn't have it. And like all these athletes that have sponsorships that could be conflict of interest, there's just a rubber wedding ring. Um, so that was like how I learned. And, and I think, you know, Jordan had told me about the term seating. I got to watch it, you know, take place, but at first it was almost like, yeah, these are just your relationships and they're taking it because they love you. You know, some of his close friends and, and the NFL, like Brandon Marshall or, you know, Andy Dalton and stuff like that. But then I got to see it for myself because, and they, I had no connections with these people, um, like minor league baseball players, major league baseball players that, I just, you know, offered to send them the ring, not asking for anything. And they were just stoked um, to, to get a free gift and not be exploited for once of like, Hey, can you throw up a tweet or a post or anything like that? And so that was like really enlightening to me. Um, and it was just cool just cause you felt so like, I felt great, like just be able to give them a gift and not ask them for anything. And what I saw was these people not only had a relationship with the brand, but they had a relationship with me because they, really valued like a personal relationship with the brand. Um, so some of those things, especially within major league baseball, like I was able to build relationships just by sending the product out. And then, you know, fast forward, I was able to go to spring training and set up tables and just pass out rings and shake hands with these guys at all. Like at first it started with four teams in Phoenix at spring training. And then it turned into like two years later, I was going to Florida and pretty much 23 of the 30 teams uh, Florida and Phoenix in like a three week time period. So I was traveling and just slanging rings, man, and talking to players and being in the clubhouse. Like some teams would just set me up in the middle of the clubhouse and um, talking to guys like Bryce Harper and just shaking hands with Mike Trout. They were just super stoked to be wearing the ring and um, loving it. And they get to represent their spouse, which is obviously like you're talking about a product that's really meaningful to people. Um, so there is something to be said about that too. But yeah, those those were some special times where I, I just I felt like I got to really see it for myself outside of just maybe Jordan's relationships where I met at first. It was kind of like, are you just doing this because you love Jordan? Um, but really, when I had no connection to some people and I saw how like giving them the gift of the free product and not asking for anything, just built these relationships where fast forward when I left Kalo, I was still getting texts of like, hey, man, like, can I get some more product? Um, stuff like that. So, yeah, wild journey. Well, help me understand that that moment there, right? So Jordan Palmer, again, played in the NFL on multiple different teams. I think Taylor even mentioned on our show that they were gr- trying to grow uh, either Kalo or Common Thread, and uh, they would see a quarterback get hurt on Sunday, and they'd be like, oh, I guess we're going to not see Jordan this week, right? He's going to you know, probably get a job and uh, and go play. Uh, and so you know, what, 
obviously being able to use those relationships is, is helpful. We don't, we all don't have a Jordan Palmer in our business though. Right. And so it was great that you got to learn from relationships you already had, but can you walk me through the steps of like, how did you even get it to the first people that were outside of the scope of Jordan's relationships? Just DMS, man. uh, Honestly, like it was just Twitter DMS, Instagram DMS, um, just sending out product, but also too, it was building my agent Rolodex. Um, you know, it certainly helped that Jordan had some agent connections of, of course. Um, but just even a lot of his contacts were in the NFL. And so breaking out into other sports and the agents within that world, um, same sort of thing, just, you know, especially agents there, I, I put out a Twitter thread a few weeks ago about this. It's just like how to build relationships with, with agents, because, they're always looking for brand deals on behalf of their clients. So when they get like inbound from people or brands, that's really valuable to them. Um, And especially with when it's not like another watch brand or another clothing brand, it was like such a unique brand coming in the door of like, this is a wedding ring that they can wear on the field or court. Um, And we just want to send it to it for free. If they dig it, maybe we can talk about a, a larger partnership, stuff like that. And so that, whether it stopped there or it just kept going where we eventually did work together. That was another way, like honestly seating to the agents themselves too. That happened to be, it was constantly like, Hey, are you married? Like, yeah, would love to send you some rings. Like, and just building relationships with agents from there too. It definitely expanded um, my access to a lot of different arenas, categories of, of athletes. I'm trying to wrap my head around uh, how those steps work, right? So number one, did Kalo have, obviously, two cents a ring gives you a whole lot of room to do this stuff, right? And not everyone has those type of margins. But was there a budget set aside for seeding? How should a company think about this when they're thinking, I mean, you can even use these pet supplements behind me um, and and write my whole uh, SOP for me as we do this podcast. (laughs) But like, you know, what type of budget should you set aside for just straight seeding? And, you know, is it it monthly? Is it it yearly? Here's how much we're going to send out. Yeah, I, I would, yeah, I'll break it down monthly first. And I would just think about it from a COGS perspective, like how much was a, a typical um, product that you're going to be able to send out. And it's really just how much can you afford, how much you want to dedicate to it. Of, of course, I would be a proponent of as much as you can um, create a budget for this. So, but we actually have like a budget calculator for like seating where it just like gives you like pumps out a seating budget for you on a monthly basis. Um, that can be helpful, but it just, AKA just bakes in all your cogs shipping, you know, the cost of the product, um, fulfillment fees, like stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, whether you can send out one a month, I still think it's valuable, uh, if you can get it to the right person, um, if you have a high cog product, uh, like whether it's a thousand a month, like Kalo, where I wasn't sending out a thousand just because it's my own human limitations, but whether it's a thousand or one, the, the principle remains like seating builds relationships. But help me understand, um, like, should we be focusing on an ROI of like, if I send this many out, here's uh, what I would like to hope for in return. I, I don't want to, I don't want to make this transactional because that's not what this is about. Right. I, I know yeah. in our pre-call, we mentioned my friend, George, who's literally trademarked the phrase relationships beat algorithms. Uh, and I believe that. Right. I and so I, I don't want to make this transactional, but like, you, it's hard to convince a business owner to just give away a bunch of product month after month after month without understanding how they measure ROI. I would, I would just think about it in the way that, well, one, it is relationship capital. Um, cause that's where the compounding value does exist. 
is just these relationships, like the the content it creates over time, the relationships it creates over time. It's it's a long term brand play. It's not something you measure in like short term, you know, impressions. Um, but I totally get the question because you guys you do want to know the numbers um, and what that's going to look like. But what I would say is like ROI that you can expect is especially in the immediate, you can expect if you're going to, if we're, cause we started going down the road of macros and kind of celebrities and athletes that are like bigger tier influencers. But if you're going to be sending out product to the micros of the world, like between five and a hundred K a follower account, like you're going to get UGC in return because these people are going to post for free about you. Um, we see that all the time with the clients that we're doing this for like when we're doing massive seeding campaigns, um, you're getting great UGC in return. Um, and then long-term, like you have these relationships now that genuinely care about your brand. And so the question becomes like, how do you start that relationship? And that becomes with sending out the product. And then that leads to, um, can they create content for you on a month to month basis? Um, are they going to join your affiliate program? Like it, it's really endless in terms of what you want to do with these relationships. I think what people get tripped up on is they fall for the gifting programs that promise all these posts and, uh, you know, impressions and stuff like that. The problem is it just creates like a one-off drug that you constantly have to hit and you have, constantly have to find new people because the, re- the relationship is merely transactional and the influencer doesn't give a crap about you. Um, it's just kind of like, Hey, I want your product. You want to post Bye. Um, and so with this, it, it sets you up long-term because you actually have access to this person. And if this person can create great UGC, or if this person, you know, has a strong following that you want to give them a discount code, or um, maybe this person, you happen to see them product and they're a larger tier that you want to basically make them an ambassador of yours. The opportunities are endless is what I'm saying. Um well, I've got a million questions and all like you were already going there and I, I want to slow you down just a little bit and take you back to, to Kalo. Right. And so you've, you've seated all of Jordan's friends and you're probably <laughs> working out relationships with them. Walk me through the next steps at K literally at Kalo you're DMing who, like who are the major league baseball players or basketball players that you're reaching out to and walk me through what happens next. Like they're like, they're like, sure, here's my address or are you, you know, here's my agent's address. And then like, walk me through the next steps there. Yeah, we, especially we tried to sometimes a lot or a lot of times just with seating, we wanted to avoid when I wasn't trying to build relationships with the agents, I was just trying to avoid the agent and just directly DMing the player. Um, If the player, you know, said like, here's my agent, that's fine. But a lot of them would just be like, yo, here's my address, send it to me. And you're just dealing directly with them. Um, And that helps just sidebar that helps when like they're coming to their agent being like, yo, I want to work with this brand. <laughs> um, that helps considerably, uh, the, on the price point there. Um, but yeah, so I would say that, you know, there's an example of that I give with Bryce Harper. Um, we found out he was married, he had just gotten married. And so basically we put together an amazing seating package of just like a wooden box that was customized with Kalo on it. Um, we went and got like a, a little iPod touch and played like a brand video for when he opened it. We sent him some swag and apparel and customized rings with their wedding date on it and stuff like that. Well, he ended up posting it and DMing me personally after I said, like after he thrown it up on his story. And so like fast forward, we ended up working together. Um, and that, that rate I can guarantee you is a lot lower, uh, you know, when you're negotiating that deal, like I was saying earlier, 
than if that was just coming to the agent cold wanting to work with Bryce. Um, and that's just because we created a great first impression. So that's like from a macro perspective, you know, a great ROI on that in terms of like outreaching to these people. Um, but yeah, honestly, like these messages were just like, Hey Ben, like we think you would be a great fit. Like we love what you do, depending on who it is. That's just kind of just like a template, but we'd love to send you a rings for you and your wife. Let me know if you're interested. All I need is your address. Like, boom. Like we would use that phrase, no strings attached all the time. And it would just kind of like, oh, like relieve them. Like they're not like trying to exploit me. Um, but that was kind of like the, the the message that we used to send all the time. Again, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> I remember Taylor <laughs> mentioning a lot. <laughs> I remember Taylor mentioning that um they had brand deals on on the clothes they would wear or the shoes they would wear, but w- specifically with power balance, there was nothing about the wrist, right? And so, right. did you run into the same thing when it came to you know their ring finger that there was there was nothing barring them from working with someone like you, so they were at least open to the idea? I mean, I mean, I would assume no strings attached doesn't come across the same way it did back then anymore, right? Because yeah, I would assume they get a lot of DMs and a lot of messages and a lot of emails, uh, you know of people trying to be transactional. Right. And so, uh, yeah, kind of a two part question there, but hopefully, uh, hopefully you can answer that. Well, no strings attached does still play and come into play in a huge way because the market still is very transactional. So the no strings attached is a way of saying like, Hey, we're not looking for anything up front. Like we just want to get you the product just because you're you and we're proud that you're you and you would, we would love the potential if you would just represent us by wearing our ring or wearing our shirt or whatever. Um, Sometimes like we would run into like jewelry would conflict with a watch potentially. Um, but man, it was very few and far between. I think a lot of times, like whether we ended up working with like someone like Bryce Harper, which we eventually did, and that started with seating, or we ended up working with Dale Earnhardt Jr. And that started with seating again. And he was under a year contract, but there was a lot of people that we just seated and seated and never worked out a deal. And what we did with the images were because, you know, it was such a unique product. We saw Steph Curry wearing, you know, wearing the Kalo ring, lifting up the Larry O'Brien trophy on parade. We use those images as a brag book for getting into retailers. Like (laughs) it was a big brag book of just all the people that are wearing a ring. So there is like, that is some ROI. Like if you wanted to get into retailers, like we use those images to get into Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, of Steph Curry and Bryce Harper and like all these different people. So those are some of the bigger tier influencers that we're able to like, once we were capturing images of this, we use that in that specific way. So can you talk me through the step of seeding uh, to some baseball players and maybe some agents to them actually saying, you know, come into our clubhouse or, um, you know, were you invited to Arizona into spring training into complexes or like, help me understand th- what the, the piece I'm missing there of like, you went from, yeah, I sent out some rings to, yeah, I'm in uh, spring training and in some clubhouses. <laughs> um, so I just, this is a, this is a huge part of seeding as well. And I, I just feel like really relationship one-on-one is just figuring out who influences the influencers too. Um, And so what I found with spring training and specifically major league baseball was the clubbies, the clubhouse managers were like the MVP. They ran the show in the clubhouse. And so if I could get in with them, they were going to let me in the door. And that doesn't necessarily mean like I was directly in the clubhouse. Some of, all of them have different personalities. Sometimes I was like outside, like on their way into the locker room. 
Um, but yeah, I started, I got like, you know, worked my major league baseball agents, you know, and tried to get a list of the clubhouse managers. And once I got that list, I basically just started hustling and sending out mass uh, messages to them, basically saying like, Hey, this is Kalo. This is the ring again, unique product. Wasn't like another bat company or a glove company, but they, you know, they still have those come and visit. Um, and then it was just working out schedule and stuff like that. So and sometimes like when I knew specific teams, like, um, you know, keep going back to Bryce Harper, but like when he was on the nationals, like, Hey, Bryce, where's this? Um, you know, I'm forgetting some of the other players that were wearing it, like the closer, I forget, uh, Blake Trent training. Um, he was there, um, a bunch of the guys, you know, so same thing with like the Dodgers and I would use those names as kind of credibility and the clubhouse, the clubby would ask those guys like, Hey, should I bring them in or stuff like that. So, um, those are kind of like the practical steps there. Well, I love hearing stories like this, right? So uh, again, Taylor on episode seven told a bunch of stories of power balance that I think are incredible and, and a few Kalo as well. Uh, and I think, uh, struggled to remember the number. Let me look back here. Uh, my friend TJ Ferrara from Bubs Naturals Collagen uh, on episode four also did the same thing. So he's he's the official collagen of, of quite a few major league baseball clubhouses and um I'm just a baseball junkie, so I could I could ask you questions on. I, I know uh, Bubs; they're down in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. So I, I, you know, I could I could talk baseball all day. It's cool to hear uh, how you managed to get into the clubhouses. Um, you told me a story when we were talking about how you were able to get Kalo on LeBron. So I would I would imagine there's a few steps in between uh, sending some DMs and and getting LeBron to wear a Kalo ring. But that actually works as a great transition because what I was saying earlier about like who influencers the influencers the same principle applies to this story too. Um, with LeBron, it actually ended up being a future teammate. They weren't teammates at the time, but back in 2017, I was down in New Orleans at the NBA All-Star Weekend, um, and I was at uh, Michael Jordan's birthday party, believe it or not. We had a good PR agency, so I was just following the, the girls around. <laughs> um, but I ran into Isaiah Thomas, who was the, you know, he was like MVP candidate at the time, not Hall of Fame Isaiah Thomas, but the 5'9 Isaiah Thomas. Um, and uh, he was playing for the Boston Celtics, averaging 27 points a game. Um, definitely like the peak of his career. Um, but I just struck up a conversation with him. Uh, I knew he was like a solid family guy. Um, he had, I don't, I don't know if this like docuseries came out after or before, but, you know, I just seen insights and just like the way that he cared about his kids and his wife and stuff like that. And so obviously a, a brand fit. Um, but yeah, and I had rings with me and I just gave him a few and he like loved it. Super cool. Um, so fast forward, I was able to, I think Twitter DM, we had talked a little bit and then he ended up just giving me a cell phone number. And so every now and then I would just check in with him like, Hey man, like we'd love to send you some rings, like, or he would hit me up, which was actually most often because he would like lose them. <laughs> um, just cause like NBA travel schedule, you leave him in a locker room, stuff like that. So just over the course of time, I would just send him products, check in, he would check in. Um, and then interestingly enough, he ends up on the calves and, um, I send him rings for him and the team and I'm being brutally honest. I was not even thinking about LeBron at the time. It was just like habit, you know, like we did this with NFL training camps all the time. It was just like 
have a player on each team, build a relationship with them, and then send the package to them and then let them disperse the product. Um, and so that was something that was just habit. And so the same thing with Isaiah, when he's on the calves, I do that with him. And then probably a couple months later, we notice a, a picture of LeBron, you know, walking into the locker room with what looks like a Kalo. Um, and then fast forward, um, him signing on Lakers signing day, he's wearing a Kalo. And so I'll, I'll stop there because <laughs> there's more, more to the LeBron story. But what I will say about that story is the principle is that would have never happened if when I first met Isaiah, I'm like, yo, here's the product. And um, would you mind throwing up a tweet or like a story? Like, even if he does, that relationship ends there. Like, he's not giving me a cell phone to a guy that asks him for a bunch of posts and tweets, like on the first touch point. It just doesn't happen. I can pretty much guarantee it. Um, and so, therefore, like that ring never ends up on LeBron as well. Um, so, that's what sticks out to me about like that story is just like that's 99% of the industry, what, what they do. Um, you're just settling and you can have so much more. But how does that relationship grow? Right? Like um, you're, you're in two different places in the country. Uh, I can't imagine you had a whole lot of time to establish a relationship and, and talk about things you have in common. How does that relationship grow into something where later on you can, you know, reach back out to him and, and send him a bunch of rings when he's on the Cavaliers? I mean, we just kept kept sending him product. Um, yeah, you know, I followed up, of course. You know, like I think it was over Twitter DM at the time about like, hope you're liking the rings, stuff like that. And then, I mean, obviously, it takes two parties. Like, he doesn't have to respond, um, but he obviously dug the product, and he was willing to even give me go as so far as send me his number. So then he's texting me asking for more product too. So there's obviously like a a give and take, and there's a back and forth there that you can kind of judge based on okay, this person actually like really does care about and like authentically love a product that a relationship can materialize. Um, not every relationship is going to materialize that way. So how do you transition into like perhaps working with LeBron? So it's cool that you seeded it. You happen to see it on LeBron's hand. Uh, I would assume at that point you're, you guys are going insane that you see a Kalo ring on LeBron's hand and it, like, it's hard not to fall back into transactional, right? Like, uh, of oh, we have to reach out to LeBron. Imagine if LeBron posted about it, right? Um, and so, how you know, number one, how do you contain yourself from diving into transactional thinking? And then, what 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 do you do from there? First thing we did was uh, the same thing that we did with Bryce, which was send him an, uh, an amazing package, basically of like thank you uh, for loving our product and being willing to wear it. Um, we had Casey and Ted, the co-founders of Kalo, write like a handwritten note. Um, we had customized rings that were sent to like, so I did some research on like the hashtags that he used, how he referred to his family or his wife. And so it was like my queen or, and I can send you a photo of this um, or it could be on a Twitter thread I, that I send you, but of, a picture that we eventually saw of the customized ring that we sent him, or it was like of James gang that he had sent, you know, he refers to his family. So that was like inscribed on some of the rings. And then we ended up seeing a picture of him wearing that. So we knew he got the, the package. Um, so that was the first thing that we did. And then I know from there, the, you know, I wasn't high up at Kalo. I was just running the influencer program. Um, I'll have to talk to, 
Casey about this later on. Still have some bitterness. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I know from there they had conversations about like, okay, what what do we do? You know, like we send them the package. Like, how can we get to Rich Paul, his agent? How can we like have a conversation about like if you would be even interested in investing or being a part or stuff like that? So I know those conversations took place. Um, obviously ne- nothing, well, not obvious to your audience, but nothing ever took place. Um, nothing ever happened with that. Uh, but I know that was obviously something that definitely should be uh, on the table in terms of like having discussion about. But the immediate first thing was actually sending him more product that was specific to him, um, that was meaningful to him, that he ended up obviously like least receiving it and being like, this is rad or like, this is meaningful or thank you. Um, just by just wearing it. I like the personalized aspect of that. Right. So, you know, just thinking through again, we mentioned TJ, he said, uh, they became the official collagen of a couple teams. And so they went to war stick, had a couple of war sticks made in, in bubs col- colors and, and, and gifted them to the teams, uh, that they were part of. And like, you know, I, I can imagine if he, just got one of these rings in the locker room. Um, and then you sent him, you saw him wearing it and you sent him a package that was like super personalized. Like that's how you build a relationship. Right. And that's not, Hey, I sent you all this. It probably cost us a few hundred dollars. Hey, can you post about it on Instagram? Right. It was just like, we appreciate you. Uh, and I think that goes a long way. Totally hit the nail on the head. So how does that transition? Did he end up investing? I'm genuinely curious, right? So, um, I don't want to name any names cause I'm not sure whether he wants me to talk about this, but I had, uh, an agent, everyone definitely would know, um, reach out to me. It ended up being an accident. Uh, but we started working, uh, through some terms on some of these pet products of, of some of the athletes that are underneath their brand that, uh, post about their pets often. Uh, and so he gave me kind of a a ballpark figure of what that would look like, depending on who the athlete is. And I'm curious from you, number one, what does that look like? What, what pricing can you expect from, from major league athletes or NBA athletes or, or NFL athletes? Uh, and then how many of them are what you said, wanting to invest, right? I would assume sports nowadays is really transitioned into entrepreneurial culture. Uh, I hope I said that right. Uh, where they want to, you know, take a piece of the business. I think Shaq represents this better than anyone. He is uh, one of the bus- best businessmen out there. And so, um, how how often are they coming to you with prices? If so, what are those prices? And then, how often are they coming in? And once you've built this relationship and saying, you know, I think an investment makes sense. Is there an even an, an investment there, or are they simply, you know, I'll just take I'll just take a few percent, thank you, uh, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, when I was at Kalo, the the you know kind of equity play wasn't too popular then i know it's increasingly more and more popular just because i get questions about it quite often um but back you know when i was dealing with agents like all the time at a macro level uh you know with a like a tier of bigger athletes and bigger names stuff like that um definitely like the agent's going to want to know your budget first and there's a reason there because the agent has a 20 percent markup that they want to rake in so they're always going to like up the ante so that that goes into like seating if these people already have the product love the product um that's definitely going to lower the price point there um so that's always kind of like my advice is like getting at the product out to them first um if you can but secondly it is going to be expensive for sure like i'm sure those price points were way outside of your budget or something that you'd maybe consider for one, um, but certainly not all of them. So 
Yeah, we didn't have like I didn't to answer your question about the the investment piece. Um, obviously, with LeBron, like there's no numerical value, like especially at his, his stature that he's going to be interested in. Like I, I think he's just interested in being owners of everything, um, <laughs> whether it's an English Premier League team or you know uh, what was that one other fitness brand that he's been a part of too. Like there, there's so many things. Um, but nothing ever happened with him um, in terms of his relationship with Kalo. Um, but yeah, I, I think that answers your question about like, it's going to be, it's going to be pricey, but you can definitely try to reduce that price as much as possible by seeding them your product first. Yeah. And I don't need to get too in depth. I'm definitely asking you the moment I hit uh, stop recording is I'm just genuinely curious, but like, is there, is there a range uh, of, of, you know, what athletes are looking for based on a certain amount of time? Yeah, it just depends on what you're asking for and who they are, right? Like, and what they normally get, which that's why it makes like, it's such the wild, wild west, because there's no like standard across all agents and all athletes, right? Um, well, if you're this tier of player, you get this for one Instagram post, like it just, it varies, like people are gonna, people are gonna charge what they can get and they get con consistently. Um, so usually, like, I'll bring you back to the Dale Earnhardt Jr. negotiations, for example. Um, we started with a lot of asks and we ended up reducing to the basically like the core thing of what we wanted for a year contract. Um, so, so, you know, we asked for two photo shoots and a, an appearance and stuff like that. And we ended up going to a half day photo shoot and no appearance because, you know, those things were six figures. <laughs> um, so, the, and that's Dale Earnhardt Jr., which is obviously like a massive name, um, kind of like across the, the country. Um, but still he's not like he's retired. He's a retired NASCAR driver. So you can imagine some of these other price points where like people are at the peak of their career. Um, so that should give you a little bit of insight there. Yeah. I mean, some of the prices are insane, right? So you, there's a lot of platforms out there nowadays who claim to have a plethora of influencers and they'll connect you with them. And here's how much they cost per post. Um, I, I'd love your opinion. I, I think they're all garbage personally, um, but I would love your opinion there. And then the prices are insane to me. Uh, and it's based on like follower count often versus yeah. not like their interaction count. Right. And so um, I had a friend who used to build Instagram accounts and would get to 200,000 200, followers very quickly. Um, it's all garbage, very little interaction. He would have 200,000 followers and like 400 likes on a photo, but he yeah. was able to sell posts on that page for ungodly amounts uh, to the unknowing public. And so <laughs> I've made a lot of these mistakes, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. What, what do you think of the, the, I don't even know what to call them, the websites that claim they have a bunch of... Yeah, vanity metrics and the, you know the, there's a bunch of websites out there and apps out there that claim they have a bunch of influencers on board and uh, you know pricing is, is straightforward and you can reach out to the influencer. Uh, I'm curious if number one, you know, what do you think of all the you know how do you decipher between the garbage and, and the not garbage online and then you know what do you think of those platforms that are really the ones I found so far are just bringing the garbage all together in one place yeah. for you? Yeah. If Instagram got rid of follower account tomorrow our philosophy of how to pick influencers would not change because it is all about their content creation ability in terms of working with, especially at the micro level, like I'll keep saying our definition of micros, it's like that five to hundred K follower count. We strictly use follower count as guide rails to identify people. And that is it. Um, follower count is basically meaningless. 
And that's what I mean by like, if they got rid of it and we couldn't see it on their profile, we would still be looking at like, can this person create really great content? Um, because that's, we paint this picture of delineation between creator versus distributor, where it's like, as a distributor, follower count really matters because the bigger audience that you have, the more that it's distributed to that audience, the higher chance that like more people are gonna see it. Um, we don't care about the distribution, them as a distribution channel. Uh, for that matter, because they have one, like you, the brand have at least two, <laughs> um, where you can distribute this content. Like if you get the rights to it and distribute it, I know I'm going down a rabbit hole, but, um, regarding the, the platforms, uh, yeah, there's a million out there. Not many of them are great. I'll just say that. Um, we use one called Tagger that's meant for discovery. It's, we don't use like any of the campaign basis where it's like all kind of managed on there. There's a lot that really pride themselves on kind of being a CRM where you can start a campaign and you message them on the camp, on like on the dashboard and then you pay them on the dashboard and stuff like that. Um, we just use it for discovery on behalf of our clients. That's probably like the most robust discovery tool out there. Um, but yeah, we, we've added a lot of the tools out there and we found like Tiger was the best in terms of just plain discovery. Um, I think that's where like there's the hashtag pays of the world that do like pays, you know, pay the influencers like on the actual platform and stuff like that. Whether that's like baked into their platform or not, I can't speak to those things, but probably sounds like a, a likely business model out there for a lot of these platforms um, where they're taking a percentage of what the influencer charges. So yeah, unfortunately, like there is a lot of garbage out there um, with tools, especially. Well, I've got a lot of questions that I think will come up naturally if I just work my way through your course. So you have a course. I'll put a link to it uh, in the show notes. Uh, and I just want to walk through there and then like pick your brain on, on why you're thinking the way you're thinking um, and hopefully, you know, get get clear on, on how to do this best. And, you know, one question I want to ask up front is so uh, uh, a chunk of my followers uh come from the high ticket drop shipping world so we we sell things that are a thousand dollars plus from brands you would definitely know uh you know standing desks or or uh electric bikes or electric wheelchairs or all saunas. kinds of things like that saunas yeah totally uh and so like it's difficult even when you like you sell i'll use saunas for an example even when you've sold enough saunas where you understand what the market wants and you come up with your own private label brand um, it's difficult to seed thousand uh, dollar items, right? I can think of a, a company I work for that we had a three thousand dollar item that would I would have loved to have seeded, uh, but that would be difficult on our bottom line. And another one where we had a, a two thousand dollar item where it would make a lot of sense to seed these, and we did seed a few of them. We didn't see quite the the relationship and return we were looking for on those. And so, uh, you know, for the sake of of all of the high ticket people listening right now, how do you how do you even begin this process when you're thinking of of high dollar items? Yeah. I would just go back to like, I, I still think, I still believe strongly in the principle. If you can just identify the right person, that person per month, you know, if you can afford one a month. Um, so like on a sauna, that's $3,000, maybe it's a thousand dollars. I don't like I have zero idea what those cogs are. Um, but if you can eat a thousand dollars and you can get it to a bigger tier influencer and start a relationship just by like, gifting them and using messaging of no strings attached and stuff like that. I truly believe that those you will reap something later on down the line. If you want to actually turn that relationship into something, um, it just goes back into like how you're starting that relationship. And there's no better way of doing that by giving them something, providing value to them. 
Um, and if you can't do it through your products, I would think I don't have any necessarily ideas right now, but I would think creatively and how you can provide value without asking for anything in return. Um, Cause I think a core philosophy of just getting into a community that you're not yet into is like coming into the community. They're not going to adopt you unless you can provide value. And they're definitely not going to adopt you if you're just coming in just to take. Um, and so that's a lot of things that I think what people do with certain categories that they are trying to get into. Um, and also too, like, I think you could go back to the principle of, okay, maybe I don't have any target influencers that I want to get this high ticket price out to that would be worth to send to, but who are the people that know people that I want to get into? It's kind of like the clubbies, right? It's like the clubhouse managers or it's Isaiah Thomas to LeBron James, like that example. It's like, who's going to influence the people that I, I want to buy this product. So th those are two things that I would think through uh, on a high ticket item. My head still jumps back to that question of like, what percentage of profit ideally would you allocate to this long-term brand growth? Uh, you know, is it 5%? Is it, what would you, what do you personally do at companies you work with? Um, let me get back to you on that. Cause I, I think the, it varies. It, it just varies. Like we have a calculator that we just do on behalf of for companies, but I don't know if we want to go back to this question later on. I can just pull something up, but yeah, I'd be um, curious. Well, let's work through your course. Cause I'm going to have questions all along the way of like, again, I think I know a little bit about this, but I don't know a ton. Um, and so if you don't mind, I'm just going to share this with, I know that makes awesome audio of me sharing a screen, but I'll share it with you so we can walk through it. Um, I just want to start at the top and like walk me through, you know, a high level overview of all these steps in the course. And I'm going to, I'm going to just pepper you with questions that come to my head. Okay. So right away, it's, you know, how do I start influencer marketing? Like you're talking about what is product seeding, seeding your first impression. Um, help me understand, like, how do you decide who you're going to seed first? How are you initially finding people uh, to send product to? Yeah. So building a core community, how to break into a category is what I was talking about there, where it's like, if you're wanting to break into a category with, you know, running shoes um, and you're not yet in running or you have a product like running shoes and you're trying to break into running or uh, you're just launching or you're trying to break into a new category. I would just think about like the ways, like a full circle, like it's who's on your seating list of influencers, but who's like the podcast that I can send the product to who's like the, the media partnerships that I can partner with, whether it's websites or um, other podcasts or what's the, you know, post COVID this thing's not much of a thing, but hopefully it comes back a little bit, but with events, like what events can I sponsor at? Um, like getting people to ideally hear about your product, taste about your product, feel your product, like all five senses is a way to just get outside of like the influencers with followers example, um, because they're just one pig in the wheel. So I just think about like all the other things, like who are the ambassadors that are going to represent this product or that category um there's all all kinds of things that the ways or like who are the other maybe non-competitive brands that you can can connect with like so if it's running shoes but you're getting in with maybe just running apparel and it's not a competitor like maybe you can send your shoes to those that company like the cmo of that company stuff like that like there's just ways that you can think about it outside of just influencer equals follower account. <laughs> um, so I would think about it in that way. And then I would also think about like, 
Um, especially if you're wanting to get UGC in the, in the return, who are people that are great content creators, like who to see and how to know they're the right fit. Like, I mean, yes, you have brand aesthetic and how they match the brand. Um, do they have a decent follower, you know, or a decent engagement rate? Um, are they posting frequently? Like stuff like that, kind of like the bare bones, like nitty gritty. But um, I would look at their content creation ability as well. So if you gave me six weeks to create a winning ad campaign, I would spend my first five weeks studying. Would you say this is the same thing as far as when you're seeding? Like how much work goes into actually building that list and, and really trying to expand your scope beyond just, you know, whoever the popular TikToker is of the day in your category? Definitely the more homework you can do, the better uh, in terms of being effective and building a list. Just because especially like us as an agency, we're afforded the opportunity like we have Tagger. But even if you had a tool like that, you could build a list. Excuse me. And you can find people pretty quickly with just the discovery tools that are out there. But even like the free ones, like on Instagram itself, you can go on a profile, click on a little drop down arrow, and it's going to pump out people that are similar to that person. Those are all new people. It's kind of like Instagram's version of a discovery tool. Um, so you can do those, things. man. You can sit there all day and find 50 people that you've never heard of before um, and just keep going. So that would, that would, but then how you're picking those people is becomes very core, but seating is a little bit more flexible with, you know, when you're wanting to work contractually with certain people, which we'll, I guess we'll get into later on in the course. Um, you have to be a little bit more specific, but Ideally, it's synonymous just because like if you're not proud that they receive your product or would be wearing your product, why are you sending it to them in the first place? Have you ever heard of the phrase dream 100? No. So there's a there's a book uh, and I forget who wrote it. Uh, Russell Brunson talks about it often as well. I'm not actually sure who came up with the idea originally. I know the guy who wrote the book definitely wasn't his idea. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. Uh, anyway, dream 100. So uh Basically, like if you sat down with Kalo Rings and like you really wanted to focus on the NBA uh, or even all sports, you would write down your dream 100, right? LeBron James would be in your dream 100. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think uh, Tom Brady would be in your dream 100 in the NFL. Mike Trout, uh, or perhaps Fernando Tatis or like, you know, big names, right? They're going to be on your dream list of people that you, you could work together. And so how much like when you build out this giant list, because you just said, you know, you can click the down arrow on somebody on Instagram and come up with 50 more names that you weren't even thinking of. And you come up with this list of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds are you narrowing it down to a dream 100 list uh and focusing on those dream 100 or are you working your way up from the bottom how are you determining once you have this list of of hundreds of names to work with where do you even begin yeah i mean i there's no like secret answer for this i, I would just start um i would say like in terms of getting responses because getting responses is a whole nother thing too like you can do the outreach so i definitely over index on micro influencers, like smaller tier influencers, like again, like that five to hundred K follower count, but man, I would like for macros, I would shoot out five to 10 macro messages. Like it's again, like it's free. <laughs> so shoot those DMS, like shoot your shot. Uh, you never know, like these, these people, you know, a lot of them have agents or have personal people that are managing their own Instagram and stuff like that that's fine. Um, but a lot of them still check their own, like, um, so yeah, to answer your question, there's no like order or specific thing. I'll just, I'll just start grinding, start hustling and shooting DMS and 
You say uh, that all casually, like there's no like BS that boils up the moment you're in that DM screen and thinking about sending it, right? I imagine it's much like calling the girl in third grade or calling the boy and asking him, will you be my girlfriend? I, I remember pacing in my laundry room as a third grader for hours before I finally called uh, Sarah Peavy. She said no. Uh, but you know what? Like, <laughs> the, it sucked. The buildup sucked. And so I love how you're just breezing over this. I'm sure it comes from putting in hundreds of hours of this. But like, I guarantee everyone listening to this is getting a little tensed up thinking about having to send just DM after DM after DM and shooting your shot. Yeah, but there's no the, – the messaging that I'm proposing is takes away the pressure because you're not asking for anything. You're just seeing like if they're – gonna dig your brand like that's it takes away a little bit because you're not asking them out right no but if, if they're anything like me they've already thought through oh shit what's gonna come what could come next right if they get a no that's gonna hurt even though a no shouldn't hurt right it's just failure but if you, if they say yeah so my own example there's some people i'd love to have on this podcast uh but i'm not about to shoot them a dm today because i know like what if they say yes right now i gotta get let's them on go. here yeah Maybe we need to have a therapy call out uh, after this call. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm, you made I'm your whole it. list. Yeah, <laughs> You made your whole list. How do you actually get someone's address, right? Like uh, what if you're – so in Dream 100, this they, they are referencing, you know, send this stuff before you even get an okay, right? And so number one, would you do that? And then number two, how would you even find those addresses to send them? Just like imagine you couldn't get a hold of LeBron and his DMs, which I would, I would assume is the case, uh, but you wanted to send him that personalized package. How would you even go about that? Well, one, I would just like for, especially for bigger tier influencers, you can usually just Google LeBron James agent and like something's going to come up. So like, that was a lot of what I did too, with like people that I hadn't even outreached to first, I would just, that's how I get the address um, and just send it like attention to LeBron James. Um, so that's, that's a way that you can do it. Um I would always recommend like going to the player directly. So I would just be asking for it, like in that outreach message, like, let me know if you're interested. All I need is your address, like, boom, easy call to action. They can just drop their address and there you have it. Like, that's all you really needed. Like I know with certain products, it's like, maybe you want to get their choice um, or, you know, have them pick out something and stuff like that. For us, it was just like, for me, I always just want to alleviate, I always wanted to alleviate like any friction or any possible like delay just because I wanted like all I needed really was the address. I knew like what they would like because I could just send the best sellers or something like that. Um, again, cheaper. Uh, like there's a lot like I could send them 10 rings if I wanted to. But still, like all I really needed was the address. I know for different brands like and the clients that we have, like there's a lot of variability there with just based on like what the product is. Um, but going back to like bigger tier influencers, like if you didn't have their address or they haven't responded to the DM, like you could just Google their agent um, or Google like who represents them and stuff like that. And you can do a lot with uh, something called Google. You've, you got your list. You use the, uh, the free tool Google to find out your information you need to have. <laughs> um, that by far my favorite line from Gary Vaynerchuk when he says, I, I'll tell you where to find it. Uh, right down this website. G O O. It's my favorite joke ever. Uh, and you, you have the address. The next thing on your list here is like how to create an unboxing experience and how to track organic posting. Like what are the, what are the next steps you need to think through as you, as you begin to start packaging these up and sending them out and, and tracking afterwards? What are the next steps? Um, yeah. What do you mean by how to create an unboxing experience that, you know, without clicking into this four minute video, what, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just mean that like that 
So going back to like the Bryce Harper, the LeBron James packages, like those definitely go a long way. So I get that you're not going to send like a customized wooden box and a huge swag. Obviously they got what they got because of who they are. Um, But for just like your everyday influencer, like a handwritten note goes a long way. Um, You know, even if you could take it from A to B from what your regular customer experience is to something that's a little bit more like helpful or like even more experiential, like that definitely is helpful Um, in terms of increasing posting rates. And therefore, like if you use like on that, if you use a software called Mighty Scout, you can actually scrape this content um, and collect the content and then you could reach out for content, right? Stuff like that. We've sent them out. I'm assuming you're going to go after the small guys first, right? Uh, I think you mentioned that before. You're tracking whether they're posting. Um, some advice I got, and I'm, I'm curious if you give it as well, is like if you see them organically posting, do you reach out to them immediately and say, hey, I'd like to run – I'd like to – make sure your whole audience sees this, right? And that you run uh, an ad on their account. Is that something you do out of the gates? No, no. I, I mean, I, I'm a little bit like, again, I'm an over-index on the relationship. It's just like right away, you just said no strings attached. And then as soon as they post, you're like, hey, bro, can I get whitelisting? <laughs> you're just like, oh, this is what you're interested in. So I would let it materialize first. Like one, you need to evaluate whether that content is great first, um, just because that's the variable there. That's going to, why it's going to perform well. It's not going to be whitelisting. Um, and secondly, like just, that's a big ask, just right going from like first date to second date, um, with the influencer. So this is where I meant I'm dumb, right? So fill me in here. Like talk me through what you would do. You see them through mighty scout. They're posting organically. Uh, I'm assuming they're just like, man, this company sent me some stuff and this is pretty cool. And that's, that's like the extent of their post, right? Um, what do you, what is your next steps then? Um, I would still like, you know, for us, like as an agency, like, well, I'll give you kind of two aspects. Um, if I had my own brand, I would slow play it a little bit more than us as an agency, just because we are on like timelines and we're wanting to get uh, deliverables done. Um, if for me as a brand, I would send them even more product as a thank you. If I could, I was just like, man, thank you so much for like throwing up a story. Like, um, really appreciate it. Like here's, here's a, here's a discount code or here's like more product or something like that. Just like, that second date is like now you're sweetening them all that more the relationship. Um, and then like based on, you know, like your scenario of like the content being kind of just like a thrown up story and it's not that great. Um, maybe then you can try to get a gauge of like on their profile. Like do they, well, hopefully you do this in the front end though. Um, if they create really good content because then you can follow up with being like after that message or like after you give them a discount code and they're just like, Oh man, like, thank you so much. Like I'll throw up a story again or something like that. Um, or like, Oh, I really love it. Or they give you specific product feedback. Then it could be like a natural progression, a conversation of just like, Hey, we'd love to, you know, work together officially. Like, would you be interested in that? Like we're a big fan of you. Appreciate you guys, you know, just like, it's all love. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's hard to make it formulaic with like influence marketing. So relational. Um, but I, I always like rule of threes. So like if there's a, there's three touch points, that's relationship first. And then you kind of take it to the next level. Like you, you kind of go on three dates and then you kind of be like, Hey, you want to like make this official, um, to go on that example. 
then I think that's a smart way to go about it. So do you ever do anything that's outside of your product? Like my brain goes to some of the stuff that we're working on, uh, uh, my pets brand here of like, I can imagine sending somebody, um, Big on this, uh, the glucosamine for cats, right? Older cats uh, tend not to move around well. This is 100% going to work. I get it to them. It works. That's great. They they say thank you. Um, do you go outside of the product? Like I'd love to send them some more so they always have some on hand to, to keep going. But uh, something we're working on is our post-purchase uh, uh, love your customer sequence, as I call it, is like, we'll go to Etsy. We'll take a photo of their cat that we've seen on their Instagram. We'll go to Etsy, have someone do, uh, you know, a really cool painting or something, and then ship that to their houses. Like, do you go outside the box there? Or is it strictly just seeding the product? I love that. I love stuff like that. I, I mean, I think it's just, it's in that example, it's like, you're not just taking them out to dinner over and over again, but you're changing it up, you know, like you're sending them roses randomly or like just stuff like that. Like I think a dating example, like if you haven't picked that up already is a pretty good example of just how you're, how you're taking things like progressing with the relationship based on their feedback as well. You know, it's not just one way. Um, They're giving you something like either they post for free without you even asking, or they're like, they DM you, you know, to the brand Instagram and being like, Hey, like, how can I get more? Or, Hey, can I have a discount code? I'd love to share with my followers. Like all that stuff is feedback for you being like, Hmm, like they dig me, you know? And like, you can progress how you want, but I would always just try to keep it relationship first as much as possible until you have like some like skin in the game to where you can start asking for, Hey, would you love to work together? Like, just like, as if you progress into a relationship, um, same parallel there. I've got another one. I'm starting to tie. So I've been building these love your customer sequences after like for our customers, right? Not for influencers. And I'm starting to tie those two together in my head. I'm under NDA on one of them that I'll tell you after the call. And you tell me if I'm going the right track. I uh, apologize. All the listeners that can't hear me say it. It's really cool what we did. I wish I could talk about it. Um, all right, let's, <laughs> let's go to the next thing. Like, so, all right, we're there. We're, we're building a relationship. Where do we go next in this course? If I need to scroll, uh, just yell at me to scroll. These are all just templates and stuff. So um, those are all just help you do what part one is. Um, yeah, influencer strategy 101, that, those things right there are basically just like, who should I pick? How to view influencers, how to find them, how to analyze them. Um, all those things are kind of just like taking things after you've started the relationship, um, after you have influencers that are wearing your product, like how do I, how do I find people? How do, or like, how do I find people to work with? How do I view influencers? Like there's a lot of like what I mentioned earlier with that creator versus distributor, like definitely over indexing on their creation ability um, in terms of their content, like AKA can they sell product over video? Like, especially people like you guys and us as an agency, we really value um, being able to repurpose content so that you can get into your ad account. And that's where a lot of the attribution, really a lot of it um, comes from. So that's where, like, I think doing an influencer deal without repurpose rights uh, is sort of a waste of time um, if you're going to work together. Uh, just because, again, going back to them solely as a distribution channel, just the way that the social algorithms work today, it's really hard to make sales. Um, TikTok, you hear all those stories that are kind of coming up. Still think those are one off things. Um, I've, you know, yet to be proven wrong, but I'm totally willing to. Um, I know a lot of people, brands that are testing that right now, they're seeing attribution come in from doing stuff with TikTok. But yeah, that's, a, that's what that section is kind of going into. Um, 
then that last video is basically just like, if I had a, a female apparel brand, like what influencers would I pick? My brain goes to like, like what can go wrong, right? So I see you have a little video in your how influencer marketing can go wrong. Is it that, is that simply, you know, you chose the wrong people in the beginning is what, what can go wrong? What can go wrong is you can get uh, very overhyped about follower count, like we talked about earlier. Um, so that video, I actually break down um, how I thought ended up working. We ended up working with Bryce Harper. I thought it was going to be the home run of all home runs, no pun intended. Uh, and I thought it was going to be like, we were just getting so many video testimonials and repurposing them as ads. And, um, I thought his testimonial was going to blow out of the water. Everything told me in audience insights on Facebook that major league baseball, um, was going to be a hit. Um, and Bryce was, you know, still one of the top three players. Um, and, but his creative sucked and it didn't do well. And then, so I pair that against uh, Jason Aldean's wife, Brittany Aldean, who's just, I mean, she's pretty, but she's just like a, a wife to a country music star. And she actually crushed. So I actually say like Bryce versus Brittany. And it's a little like how influencer marketing go wrong is just, we can over, we can uh, make decisions based on uh, the wrong things, um, like based on past success, or we can base it off of, um, you know, even, even with audience insights, like it just, we can be, we can think like we, we can have preconceived notions that are just completely wrong. And when we trust our gut, so we just, that's why that video is first. It's just like, we need to get outside of, you know, our, uh, you know, preconceived notions or what we think is going to work. Cause I definitely made a lot of mistakes by doing that. Do you, uh, this just came to me. My friend Tony uh, from Vessi, he's actually going to be on here in a couple weeks. Um, they have waterproof shoes. Um, and so they try to think of like who would wear their waterproof shoes. And they got into like the dog walking community could probably use these. And so they really try to focus their messaging on that and tried to find influencers in that arena and, and get content made on that. Is Do you guys focus the same way? Are you trying to find a small group of people? Um, are you going very, very broad? I mean, certainly look, uh, I can wish all day that Mike Trout's going to uh, take a video with his dog with some of the glucosamine behind me, but like, I don't think that would make a real difference. Am I, am I trying to think very niche as I'm doing this or am I trying to think very broad? Well, it depends. Are, are you thinking about with seating or just like working with people? consistently yeah, both really both yeah. both yeah um yeah i i think with seating the advantages is like you can can't you can base it off your your customer like who's buying the product and think about those categories so it's like for for pets it's like whether it's dog owners cat owners um and then it's just like those actual dog pages that are like ran by humans <laughs> but um so you could think about it in those ways, but then you can also with seating, like too, you can test some different things just by, if you can, like with the product and not wasting like kind of a reach out there. Um, but so to answer your question, I would, I would over index on like niche first. Yeah. For me, at least in my own experience, um, I'm finding a lot of I hope this is the right word, like influencer whores out there, like product whores, the people that are reaching out to us or the little, there's a lot of like pet groups uh, that they've combined a bunch of pet influencers together. And they're like, we can get them to post a bunch of product and we'll take the photos and everything. And you go look at all of their quote unquote influencers. And it's every single post is a different product. 
that their dog loves this week or or this day and and like you said there's a lot of the there's like dog and cat accounts um you know ran by a human obviously uh but they're all you know it's it's hard to find genuine accounts so i was wondering whether you know whether you wanted to go that broad as just a pet account or whether you wanted to like try to nestle yourself into little communities and focus your message sure i mean there's definitely like you need you need to do your homework um so like even what you picked up in two seconds by like looking at their profile and being like dude i've seen three different brands in the past week like 100 percent, don't reach out to them just that's a waste of time so like there has to be some like criteria like just because you're building the relationship on giving and not asking doesn't mean that you don't you don't have a criteria in your head like in the same i'll go back to dating like you have certain interests or what attracts you. Um, that doesn't make you a bad person. That's That just makes you human. So it's like the same thing with on behalf of your brand, just because your criteria doesn't mean like, oh, all of a sudden you're transactional and you're so picky. You should be picky. It's your brand. They're representing your product. Like just going back to Kayla, like for us, like, or for them, it was on a, on a branding perspective, like they couldn't work with Conor McGregor at the time. Like even he's now transitioned to more of a family man, but before then it was just like mother F and this. And, you know, like, um, you know, so it's just like stuff like that, that would never have been a brand fit, even though he was like the biggest name in MMA. Um, so that's an example of just like doing your homework, making sure that there is a brand fit there. I like that. Uh, all right, moving forward in your course, I want I want to make sure we get through like all your sections here. Like anybody who's considering influencer marketing, uh, this is probably the course you need to have. So like by all means, pitch it as we go through it here as well. What's what, what's the next step? Like best practices to ensure success. Yeah. So this is basically just a section of just like all the the non sexy stuff that just make sure that you're not effing up like negotiation, contracting, prices. Um, like what do I pay them? Um, how to draft a creative brief, just like all the the non-sexy stuff that makes sure that you get success with the strategies in place. Um, so those are things that are going to be very, very core to uh, success. Well, hit me up with this three critical things to include in your influencer contracts. What what are they? What are the what are the things most people aren't thinking about that they should have in there? Um, man, you're you're making me try to remember. Uh, so re- the uses rights, number one, we would definitely recommend. Um, number two, <laughs> I remember one. Um, usage rights is definitely is core. Um, well, it's to, huge, man. Like I've so UGC. If anybody listening, that's user generated content, right? And so, right. Um, you know, all, anyone listening, if you have an e-commerce store, you have reviews coming in. Uh, simply get a photo, like you know, allow Stamp.io to collect photos. Run that photo with their review and five stars as the headline on Facebook as a remarketing ad for that product. It will crush. Uh, and this takes it, you know, ten steps further, right? To actually show somebody using your product, uh, or I can imagine, you know, somebody standing with their dog or talking, you know. Th- Ideally, we get to a point where our follow-up uh, emails get them to send us in uh, a video of their dog before they take glucosamine and the dog after they take glucosamine. And that, that is just amazing UGC, right? So usage rights makes ton of sense to me. Uh, I would assume, I think you called it whitelisting. Uh, I was just explained of you know being able to use their Facebook ads account to make sure that they're just boosting the post so that their whole audience sees it and not just the you know 15% that Facebook or Instagram allows to see it that day. Totally. Totally. Yeah. No, I mean, what I was saying earlier though, with whitelisting is just, it gets down to creative. I mean, we've seen whitelisting really crush for our clients and um, do well with like a macro or a micro, but it gets down to them being able to have 
creative as well that it gets down to them having the right content. Well, I love that you're you're like offering con like contract uh, information here, right? Uh, and guidelines to uh, negotiate effectively. Like, what do you actually pay them? Um, I think it's hilarious. You can't remember the three critical things. They must not be super critical. <laughs> I'm going to call you out on that one. Uh, what, what's next, right? So best practices to ensure success. Uh, looks like a bunch of templates here um, and uh, a screen share on like how to work through the ne negotiation flow. Just shows how much how long ago I created this and um, how much we've talked. You're just you're just tiring me out, Ben. Oh boy. Um, yeah. So those are all like a contract template. There um, negotiation flow template just kind of just takes you through like common responses as you like you know on a first touch point like you're wanting to work with them contractually like what are the common responses that you're going to get and kind of the responses that you can now reply with. So super valuable stuff. Obviously, it's not comprehensive, but it's going to give you like those common responses of here's my brand kit, you know, or media kit or um, like I'm only interested for this such and such pricing and how you can respond. So just years of experience of dealing with agents or the influencers directly. So what is influencer generated content that is that like help me understand how you're referencing there and like what, what you're recommending people do? Uh, we're just saying that. Uh, just like UGC, but these are professionals. So it's just a, a term we coined with just influencer generated content. Again, the focus being the content um, and not just on them as follower accounts, that type of thing. What are you recommending? Are you recommending like a day in the life of how this product affects them? Um, are you, how do you, how do you keep them authentic? Right. Cause based on the little bit of consulting I've done on this stuff, it, it seems as though when you reach out to the right influencer and they're being super authentic and they're, you know, they're, they're being themselves and it's clearly, it's not an ad. They love the product as much as you love the product. That's when it crushes. Right. And so how do you, how do you, number one, how do you find that? And then number two, like, what are you recommending here for IGC as far as like getting what you need as a brand out of it as well? Yeah. So that, that's where a creative brief is really important. Um, the way that we think about the creative brief is just every step of the funnel within Facebook. Um, we're thinking about in those ways. So prospecting, like we're maybe contracting three videos and we're going to think about it in a prospecting, retargeting, like bottom funnel, uh, that type of way. So, but it, it does go down into how you pick the influencers is like, do they have a YouTube channel? Do they have a great personality? Are they comfortable on camera? Can they, you know, come off in a, a really good way on video? Because uh, again, we're just, we want video um, generated content. Um, are they on, on Instagram story highlights? Like, are they, you know, selfie view a lot, like stuff like that. Those are things that you should be considering. Are you writing this script for their, for some of these creators or are they writing it? We give them example talking points. Um, but, uh, we're, and we're giving them creative scenes too. So like those things of like, Hey, these are the, some of the scenes that we're looking for. These are the example talking points, but we'll give them like eight to 10. Um, so it gives them guide rails to work with him, but it's not like you must say this word for word because then it like you're speaking to, then it's inauthentic and they're it's very, comes off as very addy. I love that you have a like templates and worksheets and screen shares for like each of these sections. Hey, I randomly remembered uh, one of the other things for the contract. Nice. Approval rights. What is that? What is that? So um, before they post their content, you need to have approval or like basically two rounds of approval for the, the content that they're creating just so you can have feedback baked in. 
I thought you said approval rates, not approval rights. That's why uh, I was like, what? What are you saying? Uh, look, right, we got two. I'm calling you on on this. We got two. He can't remember the third, guys. Uh, let's make sure he hears about it. Uh, all right. So influencer organic social posts versus influencer whitelisting, which is what I talked about, right? As far as you being able to run ads on their account. Right. Yeah. And that's just pairing the difference between like what I was talking about earlier. It's just so hard to win organically. Um, and so pairing it against whitelisting, um, it's able to take it in not you now have frequency within the influencers audience which like you can control that like it's just it's putting the the control back on in your hands rather than the influencer and just hoping that you know five percent which is a great engagement rate that people see it <laughs> um so it's breaking down like a macro influencers organic post versus like what they're able to achieve uh through whitelisting and it just it it works better when somebody else is 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 lending you credibility, right? So I can think of uh, Native Deodorant. They they had a sponsored post on a on a website that wasn't theirs. That was like five best deodorants for women. Uh, of course, they were number one with a link through to get a discount on Native Deodorant. And and I remember Moyes telling me it crushed for them, right? And so I can imagine this would be the same way if you find the right influencer and are able to run remarketing ads under their account or or not even remarketing, just you know, cold prospecting prospecting under their account and someone's heard of your brand before, that's just going to be another touch point uh, that's going to lend a little more credibility than your brand name being above that as a sponsored ad. Totally. Yeah. It's just another audience, another access into an audience. And you're able, with the frequency, you're able to hit every single one of their followers compared to relying on their engagement rate organically. I love that you're like walking through the steps here because that, that would have been my next question. How exactly do you get access to someone's account? I think hashtag paid that's built into their system, I believe, uh, or or one of the... the uh, it, it is apps. built into their system. Um, the thing is, though, that you don't have access into that audience, so, which is like the main value out of whitelisting. And so what what are you doing beyond that? I see there's some like building audiences to target lookalikes. Uh, what what are you targeting beyond their own audience, which I would 100% make sure everyone who's actually following them sees this? Um, what are you doing beyond that? Um, you're looking at, you know, 1% lookalikes, 3% lookalikes based on just like the audience size there. Um, but yeah, so those are some of the things like um, that you go through, just how to set it up, how to actually have influencers grant whitelisting access is that can be very like a huge headache with dealing with influencers too. It's become a lot easier. Um, like there is platforms, I'm forgetting the name of the one that's pretty massive that's able to like do it in a click of a button. Um, but we have set instructions that we basically just lead the influencer through. They basically have just like the brand has a business, you know, uh, ID and ad account. You're just creating this one usually for the influencer themselves, just because a lot of times the way that we're working is with micro influencers, probably those macros already have that set up, but those instructions are, are key. What, what, and I don't want to get super tactical on you here, but like, what are you using their account for? Is it simply, only reaching all of their audience and maybe the, you know, the one to three, is it prospecting? Is it retention? Are you, are you running this post-purchase under someone else's account to, to solidify how important this brand is uh, from someone else's point of view? Uh, are you using this as remarketing? Where, where are you using this most? Uh, every, every level of the funnel. Um, so, I mean, we just believe like Facebook's going to determine where it's best used. Um, but building lookalikes obviously is a big advantage. So getting access into that audience and then building lookalikes off of it. But again, 
doing the homework before, like everything in the course and being able to get good creative out of this is going to be key um, into whitelisting success. I see a little video here, how to write influencer whitelisting ad copy. Are you dealing with the influencer there when you're running an ad on their account, hopefully in their tone of voice and it's a video of them? Yeah. Are you consulting with them on how to find their voice? Are they writing the ad? Are you saying, here's what we want to touch on? Can you help us write the ad copy? Yeah. Well, usually it's like, it's, we have the influencer's content already. So like just with captioning, we're able to like picture and get some of this, or we're able to look at their Instagram profile and base it off of that as well. Um, so we're using their language. Yes. To answer your question. Well, I see a bunch of frequently asked questions here that I'm sure we touched on as well. Uh, I know we talked about rev share and brand equity. What, what, what are the major questions out of this list that like jump out that you get asked often when someone's, uh, either taking your course or considering taking your course? I would say like one of the things that comes up a lot is the sales from organic posting too. Um, people still just have expectations that are just off with organic posting and expecting sales from that. So we just try to alleviate those expectations to the right place, which is on Facebook. Um, and then just other standard questions, like how to think about hiring an in-house employee or an agency, or how to think about like the amount of assets that you're going to get on a studio shoot, unique assets versus like the ones that you can get from just working with even five micro influencers. Um, it's just doesn't compare. You need both. And I get that from a brand perspective because you need product photography and stuff like that. But in terms of just winning creative um, and especially how sometimes those studio shoots can be very expensive. We think influencer can be more cost effective and you get more unique assets out of it. Well, help me correlate between this court. Like obviously you guys came out with this course cause I'm sure not everybody can work with your agency, yeah. but walk me through the benefits of the, of the course versus working with your agency. How, uh, how easy is it to work with your agency? Like what, what does that actually look like? Uh, feel free to you know pitch yourself all you want here. Yeah. I mean, I mean the course, obviously the main distinguisher is just like the price point is significantly cheaper, but I would say it's the long term, you're wanting to build this out internally for your own program. So we just wanted to give every single thing away. And I'm not kidding. Like we gave every template, every screen share, um, everything that we do as an agency and how we think we just put it into that course. We just wanted it to be all encompassing. Um, it started out as just, man, for BD calls that we have where people are like have low budgets that can't afford us as an agency, it becomes a very easy thing to just point them to the course. Um, but it's grown into like, man, we think like the world needs us. Um, and people are, I love the quote, uh, what's obvious to you is amazing to others. And so there's a lot of stuff that's just like, yeah, I mean, you even commented today and some of the stuff that I make light of like sending a DM to a macro where it's like, yeah, I've just done it thousands of times that it is like kind of obvious and it's no big deal. But to you, it's like, dude, like I'm nervous, <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. So we just really wanted to give away a ton of value um, and hopefully people do get a, a lot of value out of it. I don't think there's any middle ground between an agency, which I would assume you guys charge an arm and a leg and you should, right? You guys are doing a, a wonderful job. You're working with native and Wilson and laser away, um, and probably some other big brands, but like, there's no middle ground. There's a, there's a bunch of these apps out there. We mentioned a few of them on here. I, I have quite a few 
pet conglomerates, if you will, that reach out constantly, and they're all garbage. They're they're not good, uh, and it's really hard to find information on this. And I think a lot of people come into this with like a transactional mentality as well. They're looking for an ROI. Uh, you know, if I run a, a you know Google Ads is my home. If I run a Google Ad, I want to find three x ROAS or higher in order to know right. profitability, right? And there is no ROI. There is no profitability here, and there isn't. You can't measure relationships, and so it's difficult to even know where to begin. And I think you're coming at this the right way. Like, uh, you know, I was hesitant. I hopped on a call with you before this to make sure, you know, not only did Taylor recommend you, but like, is this guy legit? Uh, and that was the one thing I really wanted to find out from you is, are you transactional or, or are you, as George would say, transformational? Right. And I think you said all the right things. And so hopefully we conveyed that today of, 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 you need to build the relationships. It's not about ROI. It's not about transactions. It's about, uh, you know, building real relationships that, um, that that's where growth is in, in your entrepreneurial life. That's what, where growth is in your brand life. That's where growth is in your real life. Uh, you you know, you're not, uh, trying to find new friends by asking them what they can do for you. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the way you're approaching this. And I think the course is a fantastic idea as there just isn't a lot out there, uh, between, you know, a high end, um, agency, agency such as yourself right. and, everything and i hate to lump everything else but and doing it on your own right there's i'm part of e-commerce fuel forums and there's posts literally weekly of people saying you know i i sent out products to six people and i I didn't see any sales from it i'm gonna stop doing it and you know that's not the way to go about it so i'm I'm glad there's someone like like you out there you know number one giving it away all for free on twitter uh definitely go follow this guy on twitter like you guys give everything away which is awesome i think that's the the way of the future in that little e-commerce twitter marketplace and uh and now you have a course and and hopefully someday you can build a uh your business big enough to just hire you to do it for us (laughs) there you go yeah no i totally agree with you i think the I mean, just building relationships on giving and not asking is is not just the way that I think about seeding, but it's just something that I want to do across every category of my life. Um, and people like what you're talking about, it's like no way to build relationships by just asking of things of them constantly. Um, it is a it is a two way street. Um, and yeah, at the same time, like the way that we're thinking about influencer is different in the sense that of how we're building relationships with them on giving and not asking. But then our front and center on our website is we're judged on sales, not likes. And that's another distinguisher is like you, the brand, like you have brands, you care about sales at the end of the day. Like that's what you're, that's why, that's why you ask the question of what's the ROI on seating and how much can I spend on this and stuff like that, because it is the bottom line. Um, and so we want to be closely tied to that and not, like in the same way that seeding is not transactional, but it's relational in the same way that we work with influencers when we actually contractually work with them, we want to be judged on sales, not likes, because we don't want to be focused on the organic performance. And there's still a lot today in the same way that people are focused on transaction, they're focused on likes and follower account and engagement rate and stuff like that, where it's just not as important as people think. Well, I, I think you're coming from it the right way. Uh, obviously they can go to kinship.co to check you out. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Cody Wittick. So I'll put uh, his Twitter handle in the show notes as well. I think you've heard over 40 episodes. I love Twitter. Uh, and there's a lot of good people on this show that are on Twitter. Definitely go follow them there. Anywhere else you'd like people that's to how I, get that's in touch how I connected. That's how I found you originally, even before I saw TH was on the show. Nice. It's just Twitter. I'm yeah. huge, man. I'm, I'm really important. People. You're a oh. big guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, literally and, and figuratively, yeah. Uh, no, how can people reach out to you other than that if, uh, if they want to get in a hold of you? Instagram, I put out a lot of content too. So those are the two main ways. Um, 
Nice. I'll put a link to kinship.co, uh, his Twitter, his Instagram, and uh, his course in the show notes. I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Appreciate it, Ben. Big thanks to Cody, first off, for just reaching out cold uh, and wanting to come on the show after being a listener. I appreciate you very, very much. Uh, and I appreciate all the knowledge he dropped today. If you guys want to learn more, definitely go follow him on Twitter or on Instagram. I'll put both of those in the show notes. He shares a ton on Twitter. I know that for a fact. Uh, I think you're going to learn something there, too. Uh, check out kinship.co uh, and you can check out his course in the show notes as well uh, one last call uh, John and I started we have two episodes out of Dropship Podcast which is our new Patreon podcast where we deep dive into everything high ticket dropshipping if that suits you if that's what you're into go to dropshippodcast.com become a patron you will only pay when we put out a new episode you will get full access to the back catalog when you do sign up as well so $5 an episode uh, and you'll be charged as we move forward and you'll get full access to all old episodes so definitely check that out at dropshippodcast.com uh, and I will see all of you next Wednesday 